morning, everyone. So, does anyone know what this is? Who has Jenga? All right. I love Jenga. I don't know why. It's a simple game, but I love it. If you don't know what Jenga is, it's simply it's a big tower of blocks. And you take turns with somebody, and you kind of push a block out. And whoever the last person is to push a block out and it falls, they, they lost and you win. And so, it's, and it's been like, all the kids have walked by this, by the way, and I'm very impressed no one touched it, although there was some that got really close to it, all right? Um, so, Jenga, the, there's a strategy, I know, and it's a really weak strategy, and it's a very simple strategy, but the strategy is this. You have to have a solid base. Your foundation has to be solid. You can touch any, other, uh, any, of, the, any of the blocks, you can pull them out, but if that base, that foundation is solid, then you're going to be just fine. It's when that foundation is, is moved out of the way or, or someone moves a block and it tumbles over. Right? And today, we're going to get into a new series, a new sermon series, and it's really foundational to us as Christians. It's what we, we consider kind of the irreducible core of Christianity. And it really aligns with our vision here at Free Christian Church, which is love God, love others, and make disciples. The fact is, is that we have to get our foundation right. But today, I'm going to talk about something even more foundational. It's like the foundation for the foundation. And we're going to look at the first part of our vision, which is love God. We're going to say, what does it mean to love God? And i got to tell you, this is it's very exciting to be able to preach on this. But it's also very weighty to preach on this because I understand that it's the foundation of the foundation. So I'm kind of like, you got to get this one right, Brian. So pray for me in that. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we come to you right now and we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he's done on the cross for us. And we thank you for loving us. I pray that you would open our hearts and pray your spirit would move amongst us right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to talk about three things as it relates to loving God. And the first thing we're going to look at is the authority on love. And the reason we're going to look at the authority on love is because in our culture, love has been given a meaning. I think we're confused on what loving really means. And so we go and we love others or, or we love things, and then we transfer that onto God. And so we have to go back to the authority of love, and that's what we're going to do. So the first part, we look in Matthew 12, 28, 29, it says, one of the teachers of the law. So here's what you have. Jesus has been debating with these Pharisees, these scribes, and they've been asking him some really ridiculous questions. I like to call, they're trying to play this game with Jesus called Stump the Chump. They're trying to ask him a bunch of questions and they're trying to get him where he'll just like start freaking out and say the wrong thing so they can say, oh, we got you. So one of the teachers of the law, a scribe, an academic, if you will, came and heard them debate, debating. So the scribe comes up and hears Jesus debating with these other scribes and Pharisees. Noticing that Jesus had given them good answers, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So this guy comes up and he says, okay, which one is the most important of these? Now, this is a 
sincere, sincere question. This scribe does not come up, um, and he's not adversarial. He's not like the other scribes that came up. And it's actually a very good question. It's a good question because within Scripture, and depending on how you, you look at it, there's about 613 commandments given in Scripture. We think of just the Ten Commandments, but if you look through all of Scripture, and especially the Old Testament Scripture, you'll see over 613 commandments. And then what had happened in those days, you had these rabbis, and they would write these, these books, these commentaries, and say, okay, so this is the law for the law. So they would say, if you want to make sure that you do not violate any of God's law, you have to do these laws. So there was like a law around the law. They had built a fence around the law. So you had hundreds upon hundreds of laws that they had made. So it's a good system. It's a good question. He's saying, so which one is most important? And this was a common debate amongst rabbis. They would kind of pontificate and have these theological discussions and say, well, which one do you think? Well, I think, you know, this is important. Honoring your mother and father is important. And they would have these big debates. So Jesus answers the question. He says, the most important one, he's saying, the one that ranks above all is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus starts off with reciting what we know as the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. The Shema is a prayer that the, the Jews would would pray in the morning and in the evening. And he starts it off with the word hear. Now the word hear is a command, but it's an interesting command. It's a preparatory command. What do I mean by preparatory command? As a, a Marine, we do drill. Like, uh, we would do drill, like where you're marching around and people are like calling cadence and stuff like that. And there's commands and there's preparatory commands. So, for example, if I had a bunch of Marines, I would say platoon. When I said platoon, it's a preparatory command. They know whatever comes out of my mouth next, they better do it, and they better do it well. So platoon, attention, and there they snap to attention. This is a preparatory command. Whatever comes out of Jesus' mouth next, whatever commands he gives next, he's saying, listen to what I'm going to say. This is very important. I expect you to do this. So, so he says, here. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus further reaffirms the unity and the authority of God. God the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, as the creator of God, God is the singular authority on everything. Further, we know as we look at Scripture, God is the singular authority on love. 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does, not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Love isn't something that God does. It's something that He is. And further, Jesus is affirming that as a triune, as a trinity, God is the authority on loving God. Let me say that again. God is the authority on loving God. You see, God by his very nature is a trinity, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And the trinity has experienced this love relationship for eternity. This is what sets God apart from anyone else. God doesn't need us. God isn't sitting there going, I don't understand relationship. I don't understand how to love. He is love. He's been doing it for eternity. He's not aloof. He doesn't go, oh, well, I don't understand that. So he loves himself in a perfect way. So i got to ask you this. Before we continue on, is God your authority on loving God? Now, before you answer, I want you to consider the implications of your answer. 
If you say, no, God is not the authority on loving God, then you can define it any way you want. God could be just a fluffy, marshmallow God that is basically your own personal God. You won't be pleasing Him, but nonetheless, you could do whatever you want. If you say yes, though, if you say yes, God is the authority and loving God, then Jesus is saying, you need to take me at, at my word. So whatever I say next, you need to follow. You need to follow at all costs. So I'm going to ask you again, are you all in on this? Is God your authority on loving God? Okay. Good. <laughs> that's what leads us to our next thing. If God is the authority on loving God, then the authority sets the standard. So that's what we're going to look at. What's the standard for love? If God is the authority, then he sets the standard for loving him. Verse 30 and 31 says, this is the first thing. So remember, he gave us a preparatory command. Here's command number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That word love there means a divine, selfless love, which will go at any length to attain the well-being of its object of affection. God is saying, love God with your complete being. He's saying you can't compartmentalize this. You need to love me in a perfect way, self-sacrificing way that just is singularly focused on me and it has to invade your entire life. Then he says this, command number two. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. The assumption is this, it's, it's that you love yourself already. It isn't a self-esteem, a proclamation of self-esteem, like you have to have this really big, you know, healthy self-esteem before you can love other people's people. He's saying, you already love yourself. I don't think I need to really tell you that because you know how much you love yourself, how much you're concerned about yourself. I know the first thought when I wake up in the morning, I, could, I mean, I confess, most of the time it's me. It's like it's about me, like I'm hungry. Or, wow, I didn't get enough sleep. It's about me. I'm naturally focused on me. And God says, you've got to love others as you love yourself. He says, you need to love others with a sacrificial love that puts their needs above your needs. And we see that Jesus connects and interconnects these commands with one another to make a commandment. He's saying... If you truly love God, you will love others, and you show your love for God by loving others. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. So he's linking these things together. He said, you can't compartmentalize these things. They're one and the same commandments. So we have to ask ourselves, what is God's standard for loving him according to this commandment? Are you ready? Divine, selfless love. He wants us to be perfect in loving Him and loving others. Just that. That's all He wants us to be. It's just perfect. How does that sit with you? I'm reading this and I'm going, this is impossible. And then there's a part of me, I, my sense of justice kicks in because there's always a sense of justice right behind when I say something's impossible. This isn't fair. 
We have to remember what the what is the purpose of the law. This is a commandment. So it's law. Jesus is pronouncing this law. So what is the purpose of the law? Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. The whole purpose of the law is to say you are not good enough. But here's the thing. Remember that first question I just had you answer like a couple minutes ago? If you're all in, you have a problem now. We have a problem. If you said yes and you're committed to following Jesus at all costs with the commands that he's laid out, you have to find a source in order to fulfill this standard. The source either needs to come from you or it needs to come from something else. Are we, are we understanding on this? No? Not really? Well, you will. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Let's look at the source of love. So we have to fulfill this perfect law that Jesus has set out. God is perfect, therefore his law is perfect. And he says, love me and love others with a perfect self-sacrificing divine love. We know we can't do it. We have to find the source. So what are we going to do? Well, let's see what the answer was from the, the scribe. How he responds to Jesus. This is a scribe. He says, well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus does this thing in this masterfully where, so he's talking to a scribe, someone who knows the weakness of the Old Testament scriptures very well. And Jesus links Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Love God, Deuteronomy, love others, Leviticus 19.18, and he merges them to one commandment. And really the scribe can't, from an, from an argument standpoint, he can't really refute that argument. And when we look at this and we look at his response, we, it looks like he gets it. We're like, he, he has it. He gets Jesus. Jesus says this, and this guy, he's got it. Because you know what? Let's face it. Our response would probably be something as similar to his response. And we go, we get it. He gets it. Awesome. But let's look what Jesus says. He says, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And then, and from there, no one dared ask him any more questions. So this guy, he gives this awesome answer. But Jesus says, well, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He didn't say you're in the kingdom of God. He says you're not far from the kingdom of God. I was thinking just how discouraging it is when I do something, like I do something in a very in a way that I'm like, I really worked hard at this. And I bring it to like my boss, or I bring it like oh, I guess my boss is JP. Don't tell him I said this, sorry. Um, but you bring it and it's like. That was, that was good. You're almost there. Can you imagine bringing it to a loved one? You're like, I did this stuff for you really well. And they're like, that's really good. You're almost there. You're like, but I, I gave it my, my best. Yeah, close, but you're, you're almost there. So that's what Jesus says to this guy, this scribe, this devout Jew. He says, good answer. You're almost there. Jesus is saying, 
here's the thing, you intellectually get this, but you don't meet the standard. You see, the scribe was saying, my source for loving God is myself. I'm going to rely on my strength to love God. That's what I'm going to do, and I get this intellectually, but Jesus says, that doesn't cut it. He's saying, there's something missing here. So the question is, what is our source to meet the standard of this perfect commandment, this law? We've already said we're committed to it. Friends, it's not a what, it's a who. It's Christ. It's Christ. Romans 10, 14 says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Fulfilling the law and meeting God's perfect standard for loving Him is not about religion, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. Our source for loving God is not about doing more. It's about being in Christ. And this commandment that Jesus has laid out intersects at Calvary on the cross. It connects with the triune God and is fulfilled in Christ. Christ, the Son, the eternal Son who loves the Father with a perfect love, stepped down from heaven. He stepped down from heaven. He actually stepped away from that perfect union, lived a perfect life, was nailed to a cross, was on Here's the thing. When Jesus was on that cross and he's crying out to the Father, it's not purely the physical pain. Because it's the first time he's ever felt sin in his life. Our sin, the weight of our sin. And he's feeling the wrath of the Father for the very first time. The wrath that we deserve. Why did he do that? He did that because he loved the Father, but he loves us. And he intersects that commandment of loving God and loving others right there at Calvary. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his work, we are no longer destined for eternal hell. We're destined for heaven. And when God sees us, he sees his son. He sees the loving son because we are now united in him. Our identity is in Christ. So if you said yes to God being your authority and loving God, you've committed to doing whatever he's prescribed, here it is. If you listen to nothing I said, you said, that was great. How do I love God? Here you go. Here it is. It's Christ. It is pursuing Christ. It is enjoying Christ. It's being in the presence of Christ. It's being satisfied in Christ. It's resting in Christ. Obeying Christ and treasuring Christ above all. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, how do I do this though? How do I love God better? I get that, but how? How do I do that? Make your relationship with Christ your number one priority above all else. Above the relationship with your wife or your husband, above the relationship with your kids. That's how you do it. Christ is your number one relationship. 
And then you spend time with him. It's a relationship. How did you meet your wife or your husband? Or how did you form a relationship with a friend? You just like meet him one day and say, hey, you're a great person, and then that's it. Or I hope not. You spend time with them. You need to spend time with God and his word. You need to open up that Bible. You need to learn who he is, spend time with him. You need to pray with him. This week we start prayer week. What a great week to start something off, to, to get our relationship right with God. Pray. We're also called to listen to him. Practice the presence of him. Just be in his presence. Obey him. We're called to bask in the love of him so that we can respond in love. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. I want you to, I'm going to say that again. We love because he first loved us. How do you love God? You bask in his love, in his presence. You're satisfied with him. And in turn, the natural, natural reaction, because you have the spirit that is dwelt inside of you, is love for him. You just don't generate it yourself. So why is understanding how to love God so important? Maybe you're sitting there you're like, I got this, this is a foundational thing, but why is this so important? There's a couple things. Jesus is going to tell us to do some radical things. Things that we're going to go and say, I don't get that. I don't want to. You know, if Erica comes and she says, Brian, I need you to do this, and it's something that's kind of crazy. I'm going to do it because I love her. But if a complete stranger tells me to do the same thing, I'm going to be like, no, that's crazy. And so if we don't get this right, Jesus asked us to do some radical things, like love others in a radical way, make disciples, be willing to be sent out like sheep among wolves. Are you kidding me? we don't love them, we're going to go, yeah, I'm not doing that. But if we do love them, we're going to say, I take you at your word. I'm going. Second, if we don't get loving God right, everything else, everything else will be wrong. It's like this Jenga game. If I take that, I'm not going to because it'll be everywhere. If I take this out, this bottom, this foundation out, everything shatters. If you get loving God wrong, you get every relationship wrong. You can't even possibly love others because you don't know how to love God correctly because you're not basking in his love. Every other relationship is done. It's the foundation for our very being of who we are. Everything flows out of that. So let me ask you this. I want you to dwell on this, maybe during prayer week this week. How have you loved, how have you loved God? Honestly, like, how have you loved God? I asked myself this question this week. And I have to admit, sometimes I don't love Him very well. You know, even being a pastor, ministry could just become very mechanical. 
Sometimes we love God and we say, well, I did good deeds. I'm a good person. Well, I do a lot of service for the church. Well, I'm really into the liturgy, so I'm good. And those are all good things. But Jesus will, will say to you, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Some of us say, I don't really love him at all. No, I, I can tell by my life. In John 21, 15, Peter loves Jesus, but he totally fails when he denies him. Jesus comes back after he's resurrected, and he goes to Peter, and he asks him this question. He asks him it three times. He says, do you love me more than these? Friends, Jesus is asking you that right now. He's asking me, he's asking you, do you love me more than these? What's your answer? It's time to make first things first. It's time to make Christ first. Let's reconnect with our first love. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we just thank you for loving us. We thank you for loving us with a divine love that is just overwhelming for us to even think about. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for your son. We thank you for him just living and dying for us and out of love for you, Father. I pray that we would make our relationship with you, Lord Jesus, above all. We just want to fill and bask in your love so that we can love you and love others more. Help us with that. Help us connect with you, Lord. We admit that we can't do it on our own. We don't want to be far from the kingdom. We are in the kingdom. and We want to bask in the love of the king. So we love you, Lord. Please be with us.